Paul Bono Hewson. He shook a lot of Christians up some years ago when he, when he sang, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. But I totally got what he was talking about. Because all he was doing was echoing the Apostle Paul who said, Now we see through a glass darkly. And we so longed for that time when we will see him face to face. But in the meantime, trust, folks, that he has a purpose. He has a purpose for our not seeing him face to face. And it is not holding back access. Strangely enough, as we'll see when we look at the scriptures, it is a means of access. The word access, by the way, simply means a way, a way to something. And Jesus said, I am the way. And I'd heard those words, even though I'd never read the scripture, and I hungered for those. And not too many years after I got out of college, I, I became intensely aware of this hunger again. And so I, I went to the logical place. I went to a Hindu temple. <laughs> How many of you, that's the first place you think of when you think spiritual Access. Okay, well, maybe it was just me. There's a a westernized branch of Hinduism called Self-Realization Fellowship. Name says something right off the bat, doesn't it? But interestingly enough, Self-Realization Fellowship was started by a yogi named Paramahansa Yogananda. Say that three times real quick and you win a prize. And Paramahansa Yogananda was told, when you bring the Hindu religion to America, be aware that people there are really big on Jesus. They think Jesus is really special. So when you preach and teach and when you write your book, compare, constantly make a point of comparing the things the great yogi, yogi teachers, your teachers did to the things that Jesus did and said. And he did that. He did that and it actually became pretty popular, especially in Southern California. And he wrote a book, which is pretty much the Bible of the followers of Self-Realization Fellowship, called Autobiography of a, of a Yogi. And I bought that, and with great enthusiasm, began to pour through it to see if there were answers to this hunger that I had. And he kept talking about things that yogis, certain yogis said and did, and how those were like things that Jesus said and did. And I kept thinking, no, they weren't. But I kept finding that the thing that Jesus said and did was the thing that got my attention, the thing that really got my interest. I was about two-thirds of the way through the book, and there was this place where this great yogi, he was like one of the great spiritual masters that, that Yogananda was speaking about, had finally reached a point of spiritual perfection in his life, and he was considered a yogi of great compassion. And he would sit in a tent in the lotus position with his hands out like this, and and believers would crawl into the tent, not daring to look up, and they could smell his hands, and he could make his hands smell like lotus blossoms. And Yogananda said how compassionate he was to give the gift of lotus-smelling hands to people. And how this was like the compassion of Jesus. And then he spoke about some examples of Jesus' compassion. And I set the book down and said, I'm going to read a Bible. And that's the last time I ever looked at that book. (laughs) But interestingly, that was my introduction to Jesus. I had never read the Bible. So I have to thank Paramahansa Yogananda for introducing me to Jesus. So... I I didn't want anybody to know. I drove about 50 miles away and bought a Bible from a a Christian bookstore way off on some other side of town. And even then, I think I asked him to put it in a brown bag, you know. (laughs) And I began to read the book, 
driven by this hunger that was in me and sensing that if there was any kind of way to have access to God, it was this person, Jesus, who said, I am the way. I am the way. And as I read the New Testament, especially as I read the Gospels, I became intensely jealous of the apostles because they got to spend three years walking and being with Jesus constantly. Anybody here ever been jealous of the apostles? Oh, yeah. How can you not be? How can you not be? And that's what, man, I wanted what they had. But you know the weird thing? Is near the end of each of the Gospels, you hear about how utterly clueless these guys were. They really didn't get Jesus. I mean, they got some stuff, but mostly didn't get it. And Jesus is pretty clear about the fact that they don't get him either. And when Jesus was crucified, they were utterly and completely lost. They went back to fishing, back to whatever they were doing before, and they were hopeless. They were lost. They didn't know where to go next. Let's find out what Jesus has to say about that. Said, would you hand me my Bible? Thanks, bud. Oh, yeah. Um, We're going to take a look at John chapter 16. John 16, verses 6 and 7, and verses 12 through 15. That's John 16. Just find verse 6, and we'll go from there. John 16, 6. If you're looking in one of the Pew Bibles, it's page 878. 878 in the Pew Bibles. All right, here's the deal. This is what Jesus said to the apostles before he left. This is part of Jesus' general farewell address to the apostles. And this is a really scary, freaky moment for them. Because they really didn't know what's coming. We got to read the ending of the book, you know. They didn't get to see the ending of the book. They had no idea what was coming next. And Jesus told them, I'm going to leave you. I have to leave you. And the apostles were devastated by this. They didn't understand. They could only see this as the end of access to the one they loved. The end of access. So here's what it says in verse 6. Because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Jesus can see their crestfallen faces. They're not ready for this. But he goes on in verse 7 to say, but I tell you, The truth. I tell you the truth. Now, when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, and he uses this expression a number of times, it means, listen, this is really important. You need to get this. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Really? How many of you would say, You know, it's to our advantage that Jesus is not actually here in the flesh with us right now. How many of you are just so glad Jesus is not standing in the room in the flesh right now? You get how the apostles would feel. Oh yeah, right, it's to our advantage. Get a clue. No, you get a clue. Interestingly enough, the Greek word for advantage, I love doing word studies because they're so illuminating. The Greek word for advantage, this word here, is sum. Sumfero. And in fact, the King James Version uses the word expedience. And that's a pretty good word. I think that's about the best translation when you've got to stick with one word that I've heard. It comes down to this. The most effective means. Jesus is saying it is the most effective means to get to where we need to go. It's the most effective means for you to have full access 
is for me to go away. Okay, point made, but how on earth could that be? And he continues on, for if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. Now, that's the new, that's the, the new Revised Standard Version, the advocate. Just about every translation uses a different word here. It's to your advantage because if I don't, the advocate won't come to you. Some versions say the helper. Some words, versions say the comforter. And we'll talk in a moment about what that means. But I want to share something with you. At that point in my life, kind of my own spiritual journey here, at, the, at that point in my life where I was obsessed with and looking for Jesus and started to, to read scripture and stuff like that, I was really starting to consider the fact that maybe he's really there. And I began to think of my hunger for God as a hunger for a flavor that might not exist. A hunger for a flavor that might not exist. Has anybody here ever been hungry for something that doesn't exist? Well, I could really use some right now. No, it's kind of a weird thing, isn't it? And I thought, well, that's nonsense. You can't have a hunger. And then I realized in the back of my mind somewhere, for years I had actually been hungry for a flavor that I was pretty sure did not exist. And the smell that was like this sort of fruit smell. I couldn't describe it because it wasn't like anything else exactly. But, well, okay, I thought there is such a thing. There's a precedent. I, I have had this hunger. And then one day, in a little community in Orange County, California, in Costa Mesa, I walked into a natural food store and I smelled the thing that didn't exist. And I walked over to this basket, and there were these funny-looking little green fruits. And I picked them one up, and I smelled it, and I just about fell down. It, all these memories came flooding back to my childhood. And when I finally tasted one, ah, oh, that completed the process. It was called a fejola, or a pineapple guava. They're not common. In fact, I managed to get well into my 20s before I ever found one. But I had a babysitter when I was a little kid, and I had these wonderful memories of climbing up in this wonderful little tree and eating these sweet green fruits, pineapple guavas, and daydreaming and just thinking of stuff that I had utterly, completely forgotten for maybe 20 years. And there it was. And I stood there in that store and I thought, okay, the only hunger for a thing that doesn't exist I've ever had turns out to exist. And then I began to realize, of course, you cannot be hungry for a thing that does not exist. The hunger proves its existence. In fact, many of you, I, most of you know by now that C.S. Lewis is one of my big, maybe my biggest hero after Jesus and the Apostles. And C.S. Lewis had a very similar experience. And when I read C.S. Lewis' writings, I was going, yes, yes, exactly, exactly. You ever put your hand in the sand and leave an impression in the sand? Has anybody not done that? We've all probably done it, right? Can you imagine an impression of a hand in the sand without there being a hand? In fact, what's more real? The impression in the sand or the hand that made it? I'd say the hand that made it. That was sort of the last straw for me. I walked into the dark in a room at night one night, and I had been saying for months on end, if you're there, just cough. Finally, I said, okay, I surrender. No cough. Just take me with you when you go, because I don't ever, ever want to be without you again. That hunger 
is alive in me now. But I know the one who created it. Let's go on. So I asked a moment ago, we talked a moment ago about that hunger and how Jesus said it's to your advantage that I go away. And how can that possibly be? Here's how that can possibly be. Who has greater access to Jesus? Let me ask you this question. The apostles when they were with him for those three years or us right now? Ooh, uncomfortable question to ask, isn't it? We need to reset our belief that Jesus is somehow less with us than he was with the apostles during that period of time. We need to reset. And here's a little bit of a reflection on that reset. The word helper or comforter or advocate in this version means to come along beside, to be there beside you. That's why it's so hard to translate it because there's no real word that means a, a besider coming alonger, right? But what it really means is 24-7, 24-7 access to Jesus. Jesus is saying, you haven't had full access to me, to the apostles, as astounding as that sounds. But the parakletos, the helper, the comforter, the comer along beside her, in him I will be with you 24-7. Now they still didn't get this, so he goes on. He says, if I do not go away, The advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. So, Jesus is saying, you need the Holy Spirit. Now, the apostles didn't want the Holy Spirit. They wanted Jesus. How many of you right now would say, I would rather have the Holy Spirit than Jesus sitting right in front of me? Am I asking uncomfortable questions here? Yeah, indeed, indeed. But it's okay. You're in good company. Lots of people have asked these. Frankly, the Holy Spirit, Jesus' living presence, is the least visible person of the Trinity. I mean, there are thousands of interpretations of God the Father in paintings and drawings throughout all of history. And there are millions and millions of images that have been done of Jesus. But when's the last time you saw a painting of the Holy Spirit? Here's the deal, and this is what Jesus is moving toward here with the apostles. Outward-only communication, even though it's richly visual and audio, and they got to sit at the Master's feet and hear him preach and teach, still leads to disconnection. That's what happened to the apostles the minute was drawn away. The minute Jesus left, they were utterly scattered, utterly scattered. History is full of people who have struggled with what they can't see and what they can't hear and what they can't touch. Anybody here ever had doubts about his presence? Yeah. I mean, if we're honest, pretty much all of us could put our hands up. You're in good company. The Apostle Peter did. I'm thinking doubting Thomas did. St. John of the Cross, the guy that said later that the, the hound of heaven, the Holy Spirit, hunted him down and drug him back. Martin Luther, John Wesley, Thomas Merton, Mother Teresa, Francis Schaeffer, another one of my heroes. Guys are all heroes to me. I was talking with Trudy about this, my wife, last night. And and Trudy, I said, have you ever had doubts? And Trudy said, no, no, no. And then she kind of paused and there was a dot, dot, dot hanging in the air in front of her. And she said, well, okay, once. And she proceeded to tell me about something that I... I'm not sure she's ever told me about before, at least not as fully as the conversation we had last night. She said, there was a time in my life, Trudy as a young woman in her, in her 20s, had uh, finished up her college 
years and moved out of her parents' house, been out on her own for a while. And she was wanting to just kind of spread her wings. And she was feeling a little kind of trapped by her family religion and all that background. Even though at some point she'd really owned her faith. And she'd really given her heart to Christ. Yet she was going through this period of doubt. Is he really there? Is he really there? And so she tried to live. She decided to live as though he wasn't. For about five, six months. Is that how, how long it was? Something like that. Sort of a trial atheism. Try it out and see if you like it. You can bring it back later if you don't, you know. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be kind of mean and just leave that hanging and we'll get back to that later. But the most profound question there is, is, is he there? And if so, how do we have access to him? Schaefer, Francis Schaefer I mentioned, struggled and struggled and ended up writing multiple books. One called The God Who Is There and another book called He's There and He Is Not Silent. The apostles never fully understood Jesus in the three years that they walked with him in the flesh. Let me ask you an interesting... I'm, I'm asking a lot of uncomfortable questions, I know. <laughs> How many of you would like to be close to Jesus? How many of you want to be close to Jesus? All right. I see those hands, brothers and sisters. All right. Let's, let's do something here. Reach out your hands and touch the pew or, if not that, the floor or something right in front of you. Pretty close to that? Are you, are you close to that? Yeah. Yeah, pretty close. Now, reach out and touch your other hand with your hand or your finger. Even closer, isn't it? Even closer. Touch your nose. This is starting to sound like a children's show, isn't it? Yes. Now, let's do a little dancing song about this. <laughs> okay. Hold that thought. We'll come back to it in a moment. We're going to jump ahead now to verse 12. Now, the reason we're skipping over verses 8, 9, 10, and 11 here is because they're part of a, a side trip that Jesus takes that Drew is going to preach on in a couple of months here in great detail. And so we're going to save that for when Drew gets to really take you there. In fact, he's going to do that as part of the next series, the spring series, called Because... Oh, yeah. What is it? I'm trying to remember the name of the series now. Because, because of who he is. Yes, because of who he is... Dot, dot, dot. And the reason the series is called that is it's really kind of a, we actually thought of calling that series Reset Us. We're in the Reset series. When we really grasp who he is, it resets our understanding of who we are. And that's what this series will be about. So verses 8, 9, 10, and 11, will, they'll be back in your Bible in, in another couple months here, folks. But right now we're going to jump ahead to verse 12. Now here's, here's where Jesus takes us next. He says to his apostles, now he's starting to answer the unspoken question of why do we need to do it this way? Why do you have to go away, Jesus? He says, I still have many things to say to you. I still have many things to say to you. Uh, okay, right, so say them. But you cannot bear them now. You cannot bear them. Now, what does he mean by that? We can't stand to hear it? No. Actually, the Greek word here, love these Greek word studies, says to carry or hold or contain something. What Jesus is basically saying, you can't grasp them. You can't get a hold of them. They can't reside in you. Those words that I need to tell you cannot live in you. You can't contain them. Now, I've got two daughters who are crazy about superheroes stuff. 
They love anything. They've got tons of comic books, and our younger daughter, Beth, has tons of manga, which are these Japanese versions of comic books, and dreams of being a mangaka, which is a creator of Japanese comic books. But the one thing they all have in common is superpowers. Superpowers, all right? In a sense, what Jesus is saying is, I need to make you guys superheroes. I need to make you superheroes to accomplish what I want to accomplish, but you're not ready yet. Now, what does a superhero need to be a superhero? An outfit. they got to have the outfit. Or you cannot be a superhero without the outfit. Let's say you are atomic man or atomic woman, right? And you have got the outfit. And it's made of pure lead because, after all, this is atomic energy here. But to have the superpowers, they've got to be in you. They've got to emanate from you. You've got to be able to do those super things. They can't just be something you put on, unless you're Iron Man. But, I mean, it's it's got to be inside of you. Problem, folks. Unless you're lined with lead inside, too, you're going to melt down. Yeah, not good. And then you won't be atomic anybody. You'll be atomic puddle, right? What Jesus is basically saying is in order for you to contain this nuclear power, this thing that I need to put inside of you, you've got to be more than just close to me. All right, so back on that thing. The apostles needed transformation, not just on the outside, but not just in their understanding, but on the inside. Now, question. Remember the thing about touching the pew and touching your hand? All right, again, touch your hand. Touch your nose. Which is closer? The nose, arguably. Getting closer, closer, right? Now touch your heart. Ha ha, I love it. That's not your heart. That's your chest. Touch your heart. Come on, touch your actual heart. Can't do that, can you? Because it's inside of you. It's inside you. Jesus didn't want the apostles to be close to him. He doesn't want you to be close to him. He wants you to be one with Him. He wants something far deeper than close. The apostles were close to Jesus for three years. It wasn't enough. Jesus wants to live inside you. He wants to transform you from the inside. He wants to create that lead lining that makes you able to bear all that He wants to plant inside of you. Jesus needed the apostles to be transformed so that he could finish the work that he wanted to do in them. When did that happen? You guys who know your Bibles? When did that transformation he was talking about really kick into full gear? When did they get the lead lining? Pentecost, right. And Jesus told them, hold tight until that happens. He poured his full word. He poured all he had to say into them at Pentecost. And only then did they get it. If you've read the book of Acts, and I'm guessing most of the people in the room here have, and if you haven't, read it. It's, it's an adventure. If you've read the book of Acts, you see radically transformed people. Not just the twelve apostles, but all of Jesus' disciples. Something happened, and it happened while he was no longer physically in the room with them. He was in them. The Holy Spirit was the lead lining that helped them, that made them able to hold, to receive all that He had for them. Some of you may remember, few people in the room may remember, back in the 1970s, there was a, a, 
a modest little bestseller that just chugged along and kept selling year after year. I'm sure it's still out there. Called Mr. God, This is Anna. Anybody remember that? I read, read that as a new Christian. It's not great theology. It's a simple little book. But what's incredibly touching about the book is where the title comes from. It was a story written by an Irish guy living in London who just called himself Finn. It's the only book he ever wrote. He was struggling with the sense of purposelessness of his life. And he was doing a little volunteer time and also getting a little counseling in a center for troubled people, physically, emotionally, handicapped people. And there was a homeless, a little homeless girl that he took under his wing, a little four-year-old girl, I believe. It's been a while since I read it, named Anna. And Anna was dying. And yet, somehow, she was the most alive person he'd ever met. This little girl, Anna, talked to God constantly. Mr. God, she called him. Talked to Mr. God. And he said, Anna, I have this hunger for what you have. Where is God? And she said, in my middle. He's in my middle. Nobody ever put it more eloquently than that. And as she was dying... Finn finally got it. And she said, where's Mr. God, Finn? And he said, in my middle. In my middle. And he ran a ministry for disabled people for the rest of his life after that. God utterly transformed him through this little girl. Isaiah 30, 15 says, in quietness and confidence will be your strength. This is that voiceless voice that Elijah heard, even though... He didn't want it to be that way. He wanted God to be in the tempest. He wanted God to be in the earthquake. But God was in that voiceless voice that spoke deeper than a mere voice within him. True access is always from the inside. This is what Jesus did to finish the work in the apostles. Verse 13 says, when the spirit of truth comes. Now the spirit of truth, Jesus said, I am not only the way, I am the truth. This is his very nature planted in us. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. The things we could not bear before. When that lead lining of the Holy Spirit is planted within us, the whole word of Jesus can enter in. For he will not speak on his own In other words, this isn't the Holy Spirit separate from me. This is my spirit. This is me. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. That's interesting. He says the things that are to come. Because what Jesus is telling his disciples is, I'm not leaving because I'm done. I have much work to finish, but I need to accomplish that in you. And the Holy Spirit will complete My work in and through you. And verse 14 says, He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now this word declare is really interesting. Another one of those Greek words. The word in Greek is anangelo. You hear a word in there you recognize? Anangelo. Angel? You hear the word angel in there? Yeah. And, And for those of you who are really sharp, you might know that the word that we get gospel or good news from is evangel or evangel. Evangelism is literally when you do evangelism, you're good newsizing, you know, or evangelating, as an old friend of mine used to say. The word here, on, the little 
thing that means to make something complete, to finish it, to do a completion job on it. And the word angelo or angel means message or messenger. So the good news is the good message. Angels are messengers. This is the completion of his word. So when he says the Holy Spirit will take what is mine and declare it, he means he will finish planting in you the word that I promised, that I said had more to say to you. He will complete my message in and through you. And verse 15 wraps it all up with this amazing statement. All that the Father has is mine. Of course, that's Jesus speaking. So we've heard about the Father, and we've heard about Jesus in one sentence. For this reason, I said that He, who's that? The Holy Spirit. Now we've got the whole Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Whoa, we're in good company here. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and us. Man. A really neat preacher-teacher, a guy named Michael Frost, takes that passage, the essence of that passage, and puts it into this saying. I love this. The Father sends the Son, the Son sends the Spirit, and the Spirit sends us. Isn't that cool? Let's say that aloud together. The Father sends the Son, the Son sends the Spirit, and the Spirit sends us. Hey, we just wanted Him to speak to us. Jesus wants to transform us. He wants to speak into us so He can send us. And if you look at the book of Acts, go read the book of Acts again today or this week. Man, how the apostles are transformed as the word of God is spoken into them. They'd been with Jesus for three years. Now he was in them. Now, if you don't have that lead lining, if you're just visiting or you've resisted really fully giving your heart to him over the years, and you're not ready, you can't receive what he has to plant in you, Talk after the service to one of our elders. There will be an elder in the prayer room over here, and they would love to talk to you about how to get that lead lining of the Holy Spirit. And if you do, or talk to me too, but if you do and you kind of lost track, hey, I sympathize. That's part of the human journey, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. When I was growing up, our next-door neighbor, there was a lady named Julie that lived next door to her. She was in her 20s and... You know, I, I was a kid, so when you're a kid, I, I think I, I, she must have been in her 20s, but I thought she was, everybody older than me was 60-something, you know. But Julie didn't drive. They didn't have kids, and she, you know, her husband drove her place, and finally it got to be a problem. She really decided she needed to drive. She was my mom's best friend, so my mom kind of tried to give her driving lessons, and first time out, my mom came home and said, I will never, ever go on the road with that woman again. And she went to a driving instructor, and the driving instructor said, Lady, you get your eyes checked before you come in here again. She was up on the sidewalk. She was knocking things down, some of them alive, before she hit them, you know. And so she went to the, you know, what do they call eye doctors? Ophthalmologists, right? And they had her eyes checked, and the guy said, Lady, you need glasses so big time. You need, like, you know, huge Coke bottle lens glasses. And he prescribed, they went to the optometrist, and they, they... did the prescription, and she waited for a couple of weeks, and the glasses came. She put on the glasses, and she came over and banged on her front door. Dolores, Dolores, that's my mom. She come here, come here. And she drug my mom over to her house, and she drug my mom around the house and go, look, I found that, and I found that, and I haven't seen that for years, you know, on the coffee table, you know, on the kitchen counter. She had lost things that were right in front of her. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you've lost the sense of the Holy Spirit and He's right in front of you, right inside of you. Now would be a good time to get back in touch. 
Um, the, uh, the reset guide that was handed out. Uh, how many of you guys got these? There might be a few more left at the front desk if you don't have one. Uh, week five, this, this is week five, second to the last week of the series, talks about not a formula, but a simple way to kind of guide us, to help us renew or establish that contact with the one who wants to transform us, who we have full access to 24-7. And they use the simple acronym PRAY. Uh, it, it works well in that order. You can do the rest of the order, but then it's like your rap or, or rip, rappy or something like that. So pray works pretty well. And in fact, it actually works especially well because if you do it as pray, P-R-A-Y, it begins with P, and P is where it ought to begin with because that stands for praise. Now here's the formula, right? Or the, the not formula, but the process. It's not little P, little R, big A, which stands for ask, and little y. Think of it as big P, little r, little a, big Y. The emphasis is at the beginning and the ending because the beginning stands for praise and the ending stands for yield. It, our prayer should begin with praise. should begin with worship. In other words, in Jesus, Lord's, in the Lord's Prayer, He says begin with acknowledging who the Father is. We begin with acknowledging who God is and we end with surrendering to who he is. So just get the priorities right. If you're going to emphasize any of those letters, emphasize the first one and the last one. Let's look at them really, really quick. They are praise, repent, ask, and yield. First one, praise. Anybody here ever had the experience of starting to worship God or praise Him and then finishing your time of worship and prayer and realizing you didn't ask God anything and you didn't have any questions now? 90%, maybe 99% of your questions get answered just when you worship Him. We had an amazing experience of that a month ago. When we did Ash Wednesday, the Ash Wednesday service last month. Who here was at the Ash Wednesday service? It was an amazing experience. But you know who really got blessed big time? Was Brian and Aretha and Sue Weirs and myself, the worship leaders, and also the Colleen and Trudy who were helping read Scripture. And here's why we got so blessed. Normally when we plan a worship service, we've got worship leaders. And we have a lot of sense of responsibility. We have to lead you guys into a place of worship, into an encounter with God. And it's very hard to focus on the Lord and focus on the worshipers before us at the same time. But we made a decision about Ash Wednesday service. We, we were gonna, knew we were going to have prayer stations. And so we said, let's just sing and read Scripture while people visit the prayer stations. And, and, and we won't be the focus. People won't need to sit facing us and singing along with us and listening to us and watching us read Scripture. That was the most liberating thing I've ever experienced. Because about three or four minutes into the service, I remember looking over at Sue and Brian and Aretha and thinking, man, this is special. We're just worshiping God here. And it was so amazing. The sense of his presence was dripping off of the place. And we heard it from everybody else, too. And the cool thing was, well, that was great worship leading. (laughs) We heard that a lot. What do you mean, when we decided not to? (laughs) Psalm 22 says, when we pray, when we praise him, he inhabits our praises. He inhabits our praises. 
real quick, just the rest of this acronym, pray. Repent, R for repent. You ever think of repentance as practical? It's an incredibly practical thing to do because repentance is simply letting go of anything that's blocking access to him. It's plain and simple, period. It's all you need to do. Let go of anything that blocks your access to Jesus. And ask, ask. Luke 11 says two things, really. Read Luke chapter 11 sometime soon. Jesus says basically be bold and be persistent. Be bold and be persistent. Go shamelessly to God about anything and everything. He already knows anyway. So be shameless about it and be persistent. What persistence implies here is it'll take time. He will answer my needs before my wishes. And in the process, he'll transform me and the first two won't be the same anymore. Because asking in prayer is part of God resetting us. And finally, yield. Yield. The best way we can gain access to the Lord is simply to let Him be Lord. You want access to the Lord? Let Him be Lord. How can we experience His presence if we're not willing to let Him be in charge? I want you to be present, but not present. Be willing to hear whatever He has to say. And on that note, I'm going to bring up my beautiful wife, Trudy. Come on, bound up here like a little deer. I had to just really, really talk her into this poor woman. I shared earlier Trudy's time of uh, experimental atheism with you, but I didn't finish the story. So, honey, (laughs) did you come back to the Lord or are you still an atheist today? (laughs) Um, Well, about after several months of... um taking control of my own life, you know, just for me. I mean, I've been raised in a Christian family, involved in the church and a youth group and Sunday school and mission trips and, and all of that. And, um, you know, I've been out on, living on my own for a while, and it was, oh, I'm so tired. I don't want to go to church this morning. You know, by that time, I had been trying to find my own church. So my parents didn't know. And... Uh, you know, I didn't have to tell them that I didn't go to church, and they just assumed. And, and, uh, and I was thinking, you know, so many people say, D- you only believe that because you were raised with it. And so I was, well, you know, do I? Do I really believe this? Because that had been my whole life up until that point. And I said, well, I'm not going to do anything bad. That's not me. So... Gee, is God really there? And uh, I did for several months, and I was stopped going to church, and I didn't pray, I didn't read my Bible, I just kind of did what I wanted, which I slept in, and I got up Sunday mornings and maybe went to the beach instead. You know, it was pretty cool. And but about four or five months down the road, it was I was unhappy. I hadn't really screwed up my life or anything; hadn't done anything awful. But I was frustrated, and, you know, I thought I wanted control, but actually everything around me was controlling me. I just reacted to a bunch of stuff. I didn't have any purpose, and I, I, was, I was unhappy. And I was feeling really lonely one night, and I, I just turn back to God because I had to and, it, and it's like 
You turn around and someone's been following you really closely behind you. Bump, bump back into them. <laughs> he was, he hadn't gone anywhere or anything. He was still there and he just patiently waiting for me to come back. And, you know, that's when, when I realized that how stupid, how, how could I have denied that God was there? Because it just wasn't possible. Is it fair to say that he was still there because he had been there in your middle? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it, it, it was coming back home. It just it felt like that. I kind of, I not only wanted Trudy to finish that story because that she could tell it better than I could. It's her story. But also because uh, I wanted to take a moment to honor my best friend and, and partner in everything who's been on a good part of her journey together with me. We've been on each other's, on our journeys with each other for a long time. But I think it's, I think what brought Trudy back is just simply that she found that she couldn't deny the one who was inside, the one who was in her middle. She's not Jesus, but I'm really glad I have access to her. (laughs) We're going to take a little time now. As we have been during this series.